Thank you, choir. What a blessing. Absolutely. Well, maybe you've heard the story of Nancy, a little girl who was nearing the age of four as Christmas drew near. Now, Nancy's parents and her four older siblings had really tried to help this little girl understand what Christmas was really about, why the family celebrates Christmas. Well, that year, Nancy had an incredible Christmas, lots of gifts, lots of toys, lots of fun. And she was talking with her older sister about Christmas a few days after. And she was talking about how fun Christmas had been. And then she said to her older sister, I sure hope Mary and Joseph have another baby soon. <laughs> now, often we lament the fact that Christmas seems to get lost in all of the commercialism and decorations and parties and presents. Well, this morning, I want us to think about that, what Christmas is really about, but I want us to think about something more. What, what difference does the fact that Jesus came to this earth make in our lives? How should our lives be shaped by, by this truth, by, by this reality? And we're, we're going to think about these questions together as we look in Luke chapter 2. Now, this book was written by Luke. He was a physician, a careful historian, and, and he worked to compile eyewitness reports of Jesus into the gospel of Luke. He wrote somewhere around 60, 61 A.D., so just a few decades after the death of, of the Lord Jesus. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out of the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. In verse 1, we see that the emperor of Rome, Caesar Augustus, 
had ordered a census. Now, Augustus ruled the Roman Empire from 27 BC until 14 AD. Censuses were used by the Roman government for the purposes of taxation and for military service. Now, in this particular census, the Jews were, re were required to return to their ancestral homes. This was unusual for a Roman census, but perhaps it was Herod's attempt to, to win favor with the Jews. Herod was uh, the ruler over Judea, uh, working for Rome, and perhaps this was his attempt to appeal to the tribal loyalties uh, of the Jewish people and, and thus assuage some of the hostility the Jews felt toward Rome. To meet the demands of the census, Joseph traveled from his home in Nazareth to, to Bethlehem. Now, this journey is anywhere from 90 to 120 miles, depending on the route you take, somewhere around a, a three-day journey. Imagine being Joseph and how frustrating the timing of this census must have been. Mary could have her baby at any time, but Joseph is being required by the government to make this long journey. When we think of this trip, we picture Mary on a donkey and Joseph walking alongside her, and we don't know if this is true or not. The Bible doesn't give us this detail, but an early Christian tradition suggests such. Now, Joseph had to return to, to Bethlehem because he was from the family line of David. Bethlehem was where King David grew up. This was very important because hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Micah foretold that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 says, Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which fulfilled the prophecy given about him over 700 years before his birth. In fact, Jesus fulfills not just this prophecy, but dozens and dozens of others, other prophecies. Yes, these fulfilled prophecies remind us that Jesus is who he says he is. Now, if you're not sure about Jesus, you should look into this. You should consider the prophecies that were given so long before his birth. It's pretty amazing to, to think about. You see, there's good reason to have confidence in Jesus Christ and in the gospel. Now, believing in Jesus, as we said last week, requires faith, but it's certainly not blind faith. And these prophecies are, are more evidence for the, the truthfulness of Jesus Christ. Now, look in verses 6 and 7. When Mary and Joseph got to Bethlehem, they couldn't find a place to stay. Isn't it always one thing after another? Luke tells us that there was no room available for them. Now, this idea of room may refer to an ancient inn or, or a, a hotel which was a very large room where people would just try to find a place to, to lie down. Perhaps the no vacancy sign was, was posted there on the inn. Or Luke may be referring to a, a guest room in a private res residence. Either way, Mary and Joseph didn't have a place to stay. Wouldn't you know it, while they're away from home, Mary begins to feel the pains of labor. How these two must have wished they had been in the comfort of their own home for the delivery of this baby. Notice in verse 7, the scripture says that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, which suggests that Mary would have additional sons. And we know from the rest of scripture that she did have other children. 
Now, while Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born, she would indeed later bear other children. Scripture never teaches that Mary was a perpetual virgin as the Roman Catholic Church teaches. Scripture also never encourages us to pray to Mary or to worship Mary. No, we pray to Jesus and we worship the Lord. Where was Jesus born? Well, we think of a stable or maybe even a cave. Early Christian tradition suggests that Jesus was born in a cave. But the Bible never mentions a stable or a cave. We often think of animals at the birth of Jesus. There may have been animals, but the Bible doesn't say one way or the other. Of course, we envision animals because Jesus was born in a manger, which is a feed trough. So the presence of animals is, is certainly uh, possible, not unreasonable at all. This manger might have been in, in the open air. Or it may have been in an animal pen or a stable, a small cave, or it may have even been in an area of a home that was designated for animals. The fact that room could not be found for the birth of Jesus was an ominous sign. For Jesus would grow up into a man and discover that the Jewish people still had no room for him. In fact, their rejection of him would mean his death Somewhere near Bethlehem, the shepherds are, are watching over their sheep. They're doing their job. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And during the darkness of night, an angel appeared to these shepherds, and God's glory was revealed. We don't know exactly what that was like, but it must have been incredibly powerful as you consider the response of these shepherds. They were blown away. They were terrified and coming face to face with, with God's glory and with one of his messengers. The angel calmed the shepherds and told them that he had good news for them. The angel explained that a Savior had been born that very day in the city of David. Of course, the city of David referred to Bethlehem, as we saw previously. The angel said this little one was the Messiah, the Lord. You see, the Jews had for years and years longed for the birth of the promised one, this Messiah. And now, the angel is telling these shepherds what you've been longing for and hoping for has been fulfilled. The Messiah is really here. In verse 16, we see the shepherds, they were in a hurry to see what God was doing. As they arrived in Bethlehem, they found Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus just as they had been told by the angels. The shepherds tell Mary and Joseph about the appearance of the angels and all that they had been told. As the shepherds left, they, they told others about what they had seen, and people were amazed. And Jesus' mother, well, she's treasuring all of these things in her heart. It's as if she knew these precious moments would be over in an instant. So, so she's thinking about them and pondering what was happening. As she nursed that baby boy and cared for him, she's dwelling on the good work of God in the birth of the Lord Jesus. So the shepherds left, they returned to their responsibilities of, of tending sheep, and their hearts were full. After all, they had witnessed the Messiah. They were glorifying God and giving him praise for all they had seen and been told. How should we respond this morning to the words that we've read? Because Jesus is the Savior. Make your life about him. Make your life about him. Do you see that God the Son, Jesus, came to this earth as a human? 
He came that we might know him. What did the shepherds do when they heard about Jesus? They got to him, and they got to him fast. And they praised God for, for all that was happening. As these events unfolded, what was Jesus' mother doing? She was pondering the work of God, the work of God and the wonder of this little boy. Now, most of you know the story of the Grinch, Dr. Seuss's classic Christmas tale. In this story, the Grinch was sick and tired of all of the Christmas joy of the Who's down in Whoville, and so he decided that he was going to destroy their Christmas joy. So during the night, before Christmas, he went down into Whoville, and he stole all of the toys, all of the decorations, all of the food, and he was convinced that he would destroy Christmas for the Who's down in Whoville. But the next day, that's not at all what happened. For the Grinch began to hear the Who's singing, singing with joy, singing songs, Christmas carols. And the Who couldn't believe it. He, he was sure that, that what he had done would destroy Christmas, but it, it didn't destroy Christmas at all. And in these moments, the Grinch's heart was touched and he was changed. And he got all of the stuff that he had stolen and he took it back down to the Who's in Whoville and he celebrated Christmas with, with them. Now, what about you? Have you had a change of heart? Has your heart been touched not by Christmas cheer, but has your heart been touched by the Savior that God sent, the Savior of the world? Has your life been changed? Do you make your life about him now? That's the question that each of us needs to wrestle with. Each of us needs to consider it's why you were made. That you might know him and live for him and love him and enjoy him. So how do we make our lives about the Lord Jesus? Well, first, find your peace in him. Now, these prophecies about the Messiah made it clear that he would be born in the small town of Bethlehem. But Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. Isn't this incredible to think about? God works through the decree of a pagan emperor in a faraway city called Rome to position Mary and Joseph where he wanted them in this seemingly insignificant little Jewish town. The timing of this census occurred about the time that Mary was to give birth. Was all of this just a coincidence? Did all of these events happen by accident? Of course not. God was working to accomplish his plan of redemption. He was accomplishing his purposes. And brothers and sisters, if you're his child, he's working in your life too to accomplish his good purposes. You, you can count on that. So find peace in the sovereign rule of God. Your life isn't out of control. God is at work for, for your good and for his glory. This truth is an anchor, particularly in the great storms of life. Now, don't misunderstand me. The Bible makes it plain that as Christians, we're never shielded from the harsh realities of living in a broken world. We're not. Jesus said, in this world, you will have much trouble, but take heart, I've overcome. So the promise as Christians isn't that we can avoid all of the heartaches and brokenness 
that this world can bring, the promise is this, that God is at work even in the midst of those for our good. Sometimes it takes faith to believe that. But today's story is a reminder that it's faith well-placed, that he's a sovereign God working for our redemption. What love we see here. So in the great storms of life, in the brokenness, the heartache that you face, in the dark days, find your peace in him. Even when you don't understand, God's at work. He's at work in And he loves you. Do you see that the incarnation of Jesus, the reality that God the Son left the glory of heaven and came to this earth means that he identifies with you? In your struggles, God understands. He cares. As you draw close to him, he will help. Your God isn't some God ruling from a distant galaxy. No, he's right here with you. He understands the heartache that you experience, the troubles that you face, and he cares. The incarnation is a reminder of that. It's proof of that. Yes, there's hope here, brothers and sisters, even in the dark days. So God is the sovereign ruler of the universe, and he is reliable. He keeps his promises. This means that we can rest in him. It means we can find peace in him. So make your life about knowing Jesus. In him, you'll find true peace, true rest, true contentment. Now, if you haven't yet made peace with God, I want to talk directly to you. You see, this good news that the angels brought is the fact that God, though holy, and though all people are sinful, we reject God, we we rebel against God's rule. Even though we are sinners rebelling against him, The good news, like we've been talking about this morning, is that God loved so much that he still sent his son. His son came to this earth and lived a perfect life. He was nailed to the cross, and on the cross, he he took our place. He took the punishment for for our sins upon himself. He was buried, and God raised him from the dead. And if you will turn from your sin, say to God, I don't want to live my own way anymore and put your faith in Jesus. And the Bible says God does a miracle. He takes all of the sin that's in your life and he puts it on his son and he takes the perfect righteousness of Jesus and he gives it to you. Friends, then and only then can you stand before a holy God on the day of judgment. Not because you've been good, but because the goodness of Jesus has been given you. Friend, has that happened in your life? You see, this is really good news. It's really good news for sinners. But you've got to turn to him in faith. Have you? Have you made peace with God? Friend, today, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, I'm pleading with you, turn to him and believe. There's no decision you could make that's more important an important, a decision as important as who you're going to marry, for example, pales in comparison to knowing Jesus. 
the decision to turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. So this morning, this is very, very good news that as a sinner, you can be redeemed and made right with a God who's holy, but you must turn to Jesus in faith. Have you, have you, have you made peace with God? So how do we make our lives about Jesus? Well, first, find your peace in him. And second, find your purpose in treasuring him. All of the people in this passage were enjoying the reality that Jesus was here. They they were glorifying and praising God. They were amazed. Mary was was treasuring these, these times with her boy. She was pondering what God was doing over and over. The presence of Jesus brought joy. Once again, the people in this story aren't taking Jesus for granted. They aren't complaining about the inconvenience of getting woke up in the middle of the night. They're not complaining about this unplanned trip. No, their focus, their focus is on Jesus. Their focus is on what God is doing in this special moment. Their focus is on praising God, treasuring the Lord Jesus. How we could learn from them How many of us, even as believers, barely acknowledge Jesus or only think of him every once in a while, especially when we're in a difficult situation? So instead of taking him for granted, find your purpose in knowing him, glorifying him, yes, treasuring him. What does this look like in life? Well, seek to live all of your life in a way that brings Jesus joy. So what you think about, strive to honor Jesus with your thoughts. What you talk about, strive to honor Jesus with your words. What you do, your attitude, strive to honor him in your actions and your attitude. Yes, seek to know him and live for him in all of life. How do we make our lives about Jesus? Well, first, find your peace in him. Second, find your purpose in treasuring him. I read the story of a mother who was having a a gathering to celebrate uh, the birth of a newborn son a a few weeks before. She invited a bunch of her friends over to celebrate. She welcomed her guests, and, and they were celebrating, eating, and drinking. Well, eventually, one of the ladies said, well, bring him out. We want to see that new little baby boy. So the mom went into the nursery, and she, she went to the crib, and she looked down, and the crib was empty. The baby was gone, and she was filled with panic. Fear filled her heart. And then suddenly, she remembered that she had left him at her parents earlier that day to prepare for the party. You see, they were, they were having so much fun celebrating and the busyness of, of preparation, etc. They forgot the real reason they were there. Friends, does this sound familiar? This is our story, isn't it? so busy in life that we've forgotten what really matters, what our lives are really about, not just what Christmas is about, but what our lives are about. Perhaps you've practically forgotten the one who came to rescue you, who suffered and died that you might have life. You've taken him for granted. You've neglected your relationship with him. You've been too busy to to spend time with him. Why why don't you read the Bible? Well, I just don't have time. Why don't you pray with dedication? Well, I'm just so busy. Why aren't you in church and and connected and, and serving? Well, I've just got this going on and that going on. So many of us are 
putting so many things above our relationship with Jesus. Friends, today's passage tells us that it's our relationship with Jesus that matters. That is what life is about, knowing him and treasuring him. So, brothers and sisters, because Jesus is the Savior of the world, make your life about him. If you do not know Jesus today, once again, I, I want to plead with you, turn to him in faith. He came for this reason. He is the light of the world. You can know the peace of Christ this Christmas. Won't you like the shepherds get to him? Won't you get to him in a hurry? Today, friend, today. If you're not a Christian and you're listening online, text the word Jesus to our church phone number and someone will be in contact. If you're here In just a few minutes, we'll stand and sing. And when we do, I'll be up here. A couple of other elders will be up here. We would love to visit with you more about how you can know Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand me. You don't have to talk to me or anyone else to to begin a relationship with Jesus. You can talk directly to God. But we'd love to walk alongside you in this journey. For those of you who are Christians, I want to remind you that God came to be with us to rescue us. If you belong to him, he is with you. You're in his hands. Why do we fret and worry as if we're all alone? We're not. Rest, find peace and solace in the reality that God is ruling, that he is sovereign, that he's good, that he sent his son. Yes, we serve a God who loves us and who holds us and who will never, ever let us go. Yes, we serve a God who is with us. So call out to him. Reflect on the reality of his presence. Remember that he cares deeply for you. That gives hope. That gives hope even on the hardest days. Yes, the light has dawned in the darkness. Join me in prayer.